This episode of The Startup Life is tucked in nice and tight by Philip Stein and the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet. Startup Nation, getting quality sleep is super important, especially for those of us as entrepreneurs. I know for me, if I don't get enough quality sleep, not only do I not perform well while working in my business or exercising, but also it really affects my mental health and that doubt starts to creep in. And that's the last thing we want as entrepreneurs. Also, with everything going on, good quality sleep is important to repair the body and support a good immune system. And that is why Startup Nation, I wear the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet. The Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet uses natural frequency technology to reinforce our biomagnetic field to improve deep sleep, length of sleep, and overall sleep quality. This helps produce a healthier heart, regulate weight control, and helps strengthen the immune system, which helps destroy bacteria and viruses. Right now, when you go to philipstein.com, use code SLEEPEZ, and you will get 10% off the entire store. That's promo code SLEEP, capital E, capital Z. So if you are ready to be more productive in leading your business, go with the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet, proven to be natural and safe to give you a better, deeper sleep. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, you know, more and more companies are looking for ways to be more socially aware and more socially engaged. And today's guest is here to share with us not only his thoughts on this approach, but how organizations are reimagining Capitalism. He is an award-winning professor at the S.C. Johnson School of Sustainable Global Enterprise at Cornell University. He is a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh and received his doctorate at the University of Michigan. And he is also the author of his latest book, Better Business, How the B Corps Movement is Remaking Capitalism. He is Dr. Christopher Marquis. What's up, Dr. C? <laughs> uh, not much, not much. Thanks so much for having me on your program, Dominic. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. Look, we can definitely use your insight. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> I hear that. So first things first, Dr. C, if you would just kind of share with us your origin story, if you don't mind. Sure. Origin story. So, uh, yeah. so how far back should I go? That's, um, that's a lot. You, you can start like, you know, I mean, you don't have to like go deep into the weed, but just kind of, well, well, okay. I'll tell you this. What was, what yeah. was Dr. C like as a kid? Kind of share that with you. I, you know, I had just a regular old, uh, you know, suburban U S upbringing. You sort of see, see in the movies, uh, you know, so, so it was this, you know, at the time didn't realize it, but, you know, now I like much more sort of urban environments and, and, you know, sort of, um, you know, b busy places, but it was, you know, I rode my bike around and it was a pretty, pretty relaxed, uh, pretty, re pretty relaxed upbringing. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I try to think about how, um, how that, how that has any sort of effect on what I do currently. Sure. You know, I do, I do think that there was just a general, um, you know, interest of, in fairness in, in, in life, you know, sort of people would be treated well, uh, people would be treated equally. Uh, and, you know, as I started studying business, uh, I really found that I felt that there was a lot of sort of inequities in the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's sort of what would cause me to sort of study the things I've been studying on, you know, sustainability, right. uh, uh, stakeholder focus, uh, inequality uh, that I've really been focusing on for now about 15 years. For sure. For sure. Thank you uh, for sharing that. And that kind of brings us to 
uh, your book. And once again, that book startup nation is better business, how the B Corp uh, movement is remaking capitalism. So kind of let's dive into the book a little bit, because we've been seeing the rise of B Corps uh, organizations for quite a while, you know, for quite the, uh, the past few years now. Kind of talk about that. Why are we seeing this right now in this point in time? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, so one is demographically. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I've been teaching on, you know, broadly speaking, the topic of, of social responsible business for about, yeah, for about 10, 15 years now. Right. And when I started, it was a very, very niche class. Had had not that many students take it, gotcha. uh, but in the last few years, between millennials, Gen Z, uh, people are just so enthusiastic uh, about you know being able to bring sort of their purpose uh, values to work. Uh, this is among these younger gen- generations, and so mm-hmm. you know these these businesses have just exploded because consumers are younger consumers are more interested in them. They're interested in them as a place for work, so I think that's sort of one one reason. For sure. I think another I think another reason is that I think sort of the bigger sort of broader business uh, environment has also begun to recognize that accounting for stakeholders is mm. really really important. So you know you probably heard of this business roundtable, this this group trade group of the two hundred most powerful. Uh, largest CEOs in America, they came out with a statement saying, you know, we used to have a statement saying that business should be shareholder focus. You know, we're going to change that and say the purpose of business is to share, is to serve stakeholders like employees, customers, you know, make sure the environment is well taken care of. And so I think these two things, one sort of the broader, you know, external environment saying, you know, we need a more sustainable capitalism because, you know, environment damage is out of control, you know, the, you know, income inequality, you know, uh, systemic racism issues, uh, you know, really suggest that business should be better in many ways. And then also, you know, there's this great set of young uh, millennial and Gen Z uh, consumers and employees that really want to bring their purpose to their to, to their purchases and career. And so I think the convergence of these two has led this idea to really take off. For sure. Let me ask you this, because I, I know I, it's, it's not just the entrepreneur who are who's kind of being more socially aware and, and having that part uh, in their business. But it seems like the market itself, you know, a lot of millennials. Look, I, I'm a millennial. I'm one of those older millennials, you know, 82. And so okay. I know that I've, I've gone through nine 11, I've gone through the 2008 economic, you know, crisis and stuff like that. I know a lot of, uh, of my peers are like, you know, I I've seen greed and I've seen what it's, it's done to people. It's like, I don't want that. And I want to do business right. with, you know, uh, brands that kind of, uh, you know, have that social, uh, part in there. Is, is that what you're seeing as well? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that's, you know, so, yeah. So for the book, I interviewed, uh, you know, over 60 B Corps. And this is on top of a lot of other, you know, case studies and other interviews I've done. And this is something that really comes through, you know, very clear mm-hmm. in talking to these companies that they feel that that there is the, you know, younger demographic really wants exactly what you're saying. Right. Because I guess I was just curious, like, is it like, is it the uh, the business driving the driving this or is it the market driving it? I guess I was just curious about like, you know, which one is kind of like the bigger making the bigger impact, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't, uh, I mean, 
it's hard to say Fair to enough. be honest i I, th- yeah. I think uh i think both are hugely important and i and i certainly don't think you know because i you know i've seen it just in the growth among my students mm-hmm. and then also with um uh, with, as I mentioned, sort of all these businesses reporting to me, like when they do their market research studies and sort of see their consumers that, you know, this idea of millennial consumers, Gen Z consumers, you know, really shaping the marketplace now. And it's going to be a huge trend even more in the future. I mean, I think that there's a lot to be said for that being sure. maybe the prime primary focus. For sure. And, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm starting to see that I'm, I'm pretty curious about, because like when we talk about stakeholders, right, we obviously think about, you know, uh, the, the, the customer, we think about other employees, we think about, you know, senior level management, but it also kind of spills into other people like, you know, vendors that maybe the business works with or maybe, uh, you know, uh, maybe not direct consumers uh, that the businesses kind of cater to. Uh, which I kind of find fascinating as well. So it's almost like the the term stakeholder is kind of broadening, if you will. Are you seeing that as well? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that's something that I think I think there's still a lot more sort of thinking that needs to go on around that. Okay. But 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 I think that yeah, I think that you know each and every business really in some ways has its own unique set of stakeholders, mm, right. uh, and so. You know, I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, I think vendors, suppliers right. are a hugely important and not frequently well considered set of stakeholders. You know, in the in the COVID pandemic, I think, you know, it really came to the fore. You I read some stories about how some in the like the fast fast fashion industry, mm-hmm. you know, they they you know, no they the closer stores, no one's buying their products, you know, so they just left a bunch of their suppliers in, you know places like uh, Vietnam and Bangladesh just in the lurch. I mean, and, and, you know, didn't really take care of them. So I think that, you know, with some of the economic issues that we've had, you know, people are sort of putting those pieces together and sort of understanding like, okay, you know, it's, you know, you have some stakeholders that you need to be responsible for. For sure. For sure. It, it just it just goes to show and once again, reinforces that in a global economy, we really are kind of dependent on one another in, in some way, uh, right. shape, form or fashion. So I appreciate you sharing that for sure. I, I wanted to uh, right. ask, yeah, for sure. I, I wanted to ask you about one of the chapters in your book, because, you know, uh, number, chapter 10, big isn't always bad, oh. because we always talk about capitalism in this donkey dog world and like some people uh, some companies just get too big you know and it just kind of goes with the notion that like oh well they're like all you know this big time fortune 500 company they don't care about the little guy anymore but you kind of talk about in a different approach kind of talk about that a little bit sure yeah and and actually that that readers i mean i, I hope that they're excuse me not readers i listeners i hope that they you know, are interested enough to, to buy the book. Uh, but if not, actually, Chapter 10, I wrote a Stanford Social Innovation Review article mm-hmm. based on Chapter 10. So they can go on the web. I think probably get that for free if they're interested. Uh, sure. But the the, uh, the point of that chapter is how the model that B Corp, ha- that B Lab and B Corps have developed is being more and more used by large companies. Uh, and the, the real big example there in that chapter is Danone. Uh, you know, they're a French $30 billion, you know, health and dairy and all kinds of different sort of food and nutrition products. Right. Uh, and they have committed to really integrating the B, this B Corp ideas into their whole company. They've 
certified as certified B Corps already uh, over 20 of their subsidiaries and have committed to, you know, so certifying all, all of, you know, the whole, the whole um, organization. And I had the, the really nice opportunity to interview the CEO of Danone to understand their uh, COVID response and to do this idea of stakeholders we were just talking about, right. you know, had a very systematic way of thinking, okay, you know, here's this crisis, you know, what are we going to do for our employees? And they had a bunch of different sort of work, you know, salary guarantees, uh, suppliers, you know, things like milk, which, you know, there's a lot of issues of milk sort of going unused because, Absolutely. you know, uh, couldn't fit, couldn't fit into the production line. So how, they thought, well, how to take care of that shareholders, you know, shareholders frequently, you know, people think, you know, think about sort of employees or, or consumers uh, or even suppliers as stakeholders, but shareholders another, and they, they sort of creatively thought about how to deal with the, with the shareholders. So this idea of, you know, here's this large organization and why, you know, I really highlight that is because, you know, that's created a model in some way of how other organizations can adopt these B Corp ideas. And let me just take a step back and sure. say, um, so the listeners who might not be familiar with B Corps, uh, you know, it's, you know, what it is, it's a certification, uh, sort of like, you know, fair trade or lead certified building, but it's a certification for an overall company on the extent to which it meets like social and environmental uh, uh, provisions. And, you know, many, you know, companies like Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's, Allbirds, Kickstarter, uh, Bombas, right. et cetera, are sort of well-known ones. But, you know, that's not really, the, it's been really sort of the smaller startups that have been sort of famous for B Corps, uh, being B Corps. And you can imagine, you know, you're starting a company and, you know, you're small, it's easy to institute these ideas but you know, really, when you grow, it becomes it's more of a challenge because you know you're, uh, you know, sort of a lot of times there ends up being a tension between sort of you know sort of the financial bottom line and the social bottom line, right? Uh, and and for companies like Danone that have that have existed for a long period of time, you know, how to actually change the company to orient towards these ideas is a challenge. So, so there's been a big movement to to take this model. Uh, to large companies, and there's a number of them. You know, Natura is a large cosmetics company out of Brazil. They mm -hmm. recently purchased a Avon. They own the Body Shop. Uh, Unilever is also very involved in the, in this movement. So, right. so increasing increasingly, there's large companies that are taking this on, and I, th I hope that more companies will do it because you know companies talk about stakeholder management, right? But they, but but you know how to actually do that, how to actually become a stakeholder driven company is sort of very hard to think about uh, and hard to do when you're, when you're this massive company, but with the B lab tools and processes, it's actually sort of like almost a playbook to be more stakeholder driven. So, so I yeah, hope to hope that more and more large companies will continue to come on to this movement because it'll really help them with their interest in being more stakeholder driven. For sure. And, and I imagine what a lot of times what happens is like, you know, you, uh, you, you, you want to get on board with, uh, that process, but a lot of times as, you know, 
uh, quarterly earnings statement starts, you know, you got to report those quarterly earnings and maybe uh, projections. You didn't meet certain projections and stuff like that. And so you kind of go back to that default setting of like, ah, yep. I forget the stakeholder. I got to get this money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, I definitely understand that. But you said something that I thought was interesting. It kind of goes back uh, to your book a little bit. Chapter six, employees are the heart of the company. And, and you talked about employees and, and, and COVID and we've been seeing or hearing uh, this phrase essential workers. And, uh, you know, so kind of talk about that a little bit, you know, uh, you know, talk about that juxtaposition between uh, what you talk about in the book and what we're seeing currently during the era of COVID. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. A couple of ways to think about that. So, sure. You know, first at a general level before sort of thinking about COVID, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this idea of treating employees well, it's, it sounds so, obvious that that, that of course you know these are these are people um and you know they they're here sort of working spending their day um uh for for the company you know of course you but you know surprisingly you know you know many as as we know sort of many many companies don't sort of follow through on that and so you know the b corps uh have you know a variety you know there's huge diversity so i i don't want to talk in uh, you know, sort of over, overly generalized, sure. but, you know, through having really great benefits, you know, good, fair living wages, uh, you know, they end up having better, uh, better retention numbers. So, you know, it's, you know, many companies that I, that I studied, you know, if you compare them to their peers, you know, their retention is, you know, multiple times higher. So whereas, you know, maybe in, in some, you know, sort of maybe sort of fast, fast, casual type restaurants, right. you know, t- t- Turner would be maybe 90%, 100% a year uh, for the B Corps. It's done, you know, 30, 30%, 40% a year, you know, sometimes even lower. There's a number of examples where, you know, the companies I studied have, you know, just dramatically different, dramatically uh, lower turnover, much higher retention than other uh, companies, you know, another side of the, co- the other side of the coin of that is also then attraction of the employees. Mm. So, you know, I interviewed a, a B Corp leader recently and someone had asked them, uh, you know, what, what's the biggest benefit you have? And, and what she said was that, you know, I never have to, uh, think about employees, uh, you know, sort of hiring anyone basically because no one leaves. And when I'm growing, I've got a line outside the door of people that want to, uh, you know, want to work for me. There are, you know, again, it's sort of the millennial, uh, Gen Z people want to work for B corporations. I mean, there are job boards set up for this. Uh, and so many of the B corps that I've talked to have said, you know, when, when the HR person asks, or maybe it's part of actually the employment form, you know, why, why do you want to work here? You know, many people say it's because you're a B corp. So, Mm. so I, so I think that, you know, this idea of actually, having a, a socially and environmentally friendly company, you know, really makes the, the, you know, employees happier culture better. And that end up spills over to the, to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting. I think that in terms of COVID uh, you know, I talked to a number of B Corp, some in the retail industry, which, you know, was, was hard hit because many right. of their many stores had to close down. Right. Uh, and, you know, I mean, businesses are businesses. I mean, they sometimes have to make hard decisions right. uh, and, and lay people off. But the, the, the amount of thought 
that went into like, how can we do this in a, you know, if we do have to lay people off uh, in a, in a way where we can sort of, you know, have the benefits extend, uh, uh, you know, try not to lay them off. Uh, uh, also, you know, essential workers, you mentioned, you know, one of the companies I, I talked to, you know, they had this great idea that, you know, uh, they, they were a comp- where they were a, a sort of an essential industry. So, so as a manufacturing company, people had to come into the into the factory uh, for as a food product manufacturer. And they said, you know, we understand that employees might be afraid, and we're going to set this. You know, we're basically going to pay them to not come in if they they really feel that that's too dangerous for them right. to come in because of the health condition. It wasn't as much as a whole day. I think it was around half, but at least they got something. Right. Uh, then they, all, then they also, you know, because they, because this is something that affects the community as well. So they said, okay, you know, how can we help our community? And so they then started, you know, bringing in dinners from, you know, not nothing too expensive. I, I think they said, you know, it was ends up being, you know, about 10 person, $10 per head. Uh, but, but in order just to help the businesses in their community, you know, they then started this program where they would bring in dinners uh, mm. from, from local restaurants. Uh, so, you know, for me, talking to these companies, and I think that, you know, having this real stakeholder orientation, you know, it really, it changes how you think about things. So, okay, so, you know, there's this shutdown, and you immediately you're not thinking about, okay, you know, I got to I got to save as much money as possible. You think about, okay, so how can I, you know, be humane and and be creative too in extending my business or shutting it down in a way that makes it uh, as effective as possible for everyone. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, you brought up something that I didn't even think about is that if you're a B Corps, that can be a a tool uh, to uh, not only to attract talent, I didn't even think about yes. that. You know, that's that's quite interesting. I never thought about that before, but I appreciate you bringing that up. If you ask me what the biggest uh, benefit of being a B Corp is, yeah. it's it's actually on the employee uh, attraction to retention. I think that, you know, many people see these social oriented businesses and think it's all about attracting consumers. Mm. And I think that there is, you know, as, as we discussed, uh, right. you know, increasingly consumers are really interested in these type of businesses. But I think that the biggest economic benefit is you know attraction and retention of employees absolutely absolutely thank you for sharing that you know dr c i want to ask you this because we, we, you know like i said we've been seeing the rise of b core uh corporation stuff like that what are some of those things that like if i'm a startup and i want to incorporate and i'm thinking about uh, a b core we've kind of talked about a lot of the benefits but what are some of those maybe challenges or maybe some of those things that like i need to maybe take a second look if that's the direction i want to go Sure. I think a couple of things, uh, and I think these are mostly short-term things. And so I, I am, you know, pr- pr- you know, relatively bullish on, on the, of course, the benefits of, of, course. The, of, of this. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, I think it is, it's, it's time commitment. I mean, it's a rigorous mm. evaluation and it, you know, it takes time and, and a number of people, you know, it's interesting. I've heard diverse opinions on, you know, okay. some people said they, you know, they, they, they heard about it in New York city and they were taking a train from New York city to Boston and they did the whole evaluation between New York city and Boston. Right. Uh, uh, so that's a couple hours, but other people, you know, it takes, you know, months uh, to go, to go through. So one is the time involved. I think, you know, as 
I'm not an entrepreneur, but uh, you know, many of your listeners, I'm sure are. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, any entrepreneur I talk to about the, you know, time and, you know, and making sure you prioritize the most important things uh, and fill your time with the, mo- you know, do the most valuable uh, things for your business is is a huge thing. So I think the time is an issue. You know, there's also a cost to it. Mm. It's scale based on revenue, and I and I and I don't know the exact scaling. It's not a ton, but there is a cost, and I know that's something that. Uh, people also, you know, is another potential, potential downside. But on the flip side of that, particularly the, the sort of the time it takes to fill out the assessment, you know, so many businesses, particularly smaller businesses Mm -hmm. told me that, you know, they learn so much about running a business from actually going through the, going through the assessment that, you know, it ended up making them a much better business. And there's, you know, some researchers have actually studied B Corps and, you know, B Corps are much more uh, likely to survive. So if you're founded, you become a B Corp, you know, if you compare it to cohorts of companies that started around the same time as you, uh, you know, the B Corp is much more likely to survive. And perhaps it is because of, you know, having gone through this, like it's almost like management 101 or toolkit for for running your business, uh, you know, makes them sort of more resilient, more sustainable, and that's ultimately why I named the book Better Business because, right. you know, so many companies I talked to or leaders of companies said, you know, I went into this thinking it was about me trying to be more socially and environmentally responsible, mm-hmm. but I came out of it, and the biggest thing that I uh, that came out of doing this process is that I'm a better business. Uh, You know, my business as a whole is just so much better. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexo series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top-notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, feel your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me. Your time will thank you. This episode is sponsored by Swanson Health. Startup Nation, Swanson Health has been producing quality vitamins and supplements, foods, healthy home, and self-care products for over 50 years. Since 1969, from the heart of America, Swanson Health carries over 20,000 wellness products at a great value. 
pick up all of your favorite health products, plus discover new ones for your wellness routine, all while leaving money in your pocket. If you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use code STARTUP20 for 20% off at Swanson.com. We have a link there in the show notes if you listen to the replay. This episode of the Startup Life is powered by Colony Spark. Startup Nation, with our economy in flux, there is a lot of mixed messaging out there. If there was ever a time to take control of the narrative and let your customers know that you're here to serve them, it's now. And that's why you have a friend in Colony Spark. Colony Spark is an omni-channel marketing agency that believes in the power of community to ignite your business. They have helped companies across many industries with lead generation, revenue growth, and more to put them on the path to success. My guy Bill Murphy and his team are very good at what they do. How do I know this? Because not many SEO companies have the stamp of approval of being partnered with Google. Yes, that Google. So I want you to go to www.colonyspark.com forward slash startup to schedule a meeting today. In that meeting, you will review your current marketing activity, receive actionable advice on how to pivot and grow, and ask any marketing questions you may have on navigating over the next few months. Look, Startup Nation, I know things may seem uncertain right now, but if you are looking for a business partner that can help light the way, go with Colony Spark, where they firmly believe in business helping business. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Once again, Startup Nation, we are talking to Dr. Christopher Marquise, the author of Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking uh, Capitalism. I, I want to ask you this because I know uh, that you know you have exten- extensive experience in B Corp, but you also have ex- ex- expen- extensive, sorry, I can't talk today, extensive experience and knowledge about uh, doing business uh, in China. I know you teach a class there in uh, Cornell. I'm curious about... What's that B Corp movement? Are the, is there a, a similar movement in China as it is here in the United States, or is it a little different? Yeah. Okay. So it's so it's different. Uh, okay. So it's we have, I guess, both both the sort of the same and different. So <laughs> for sure. So the B Corp the B Corp movement is a global movement. So right. it started in the U.S., but actually, there's more B Corps outside the U.S. than in than inside the U.S. And I think that actually these larger B Corps that we t- I talked about, you know, those are mo- you know European and and South American. Countries are where I think you, these large companies are are getting on the movement. In China, China also has a very early sort of nascent B Corp movement, mm. uh, and I mean I think there's about twenty between twenty and thirty B Corps uh, right now, but it is a really passionate group of folks. I mean I'm really impressed. I mean I'm on um, I have a lot of because I do a lot of work in China. I, I right. do a lot of work on WeChat, and so I will mm. get updates almost every day. They're having some event about you know, learn about the B impact assessment or, you know, we have to support this new B Corp. Uh, So, so it's a very, uh, you know, sort of very vibrant movement, although sort of still very early. Uh, And I'll say that one of the things that is both a challenge uh, and hopefully an opportunity is that, you know, because the B impact assessment, this, you know, evaluation I've mentioned started in the U S you know, it's very focused on, uh, or, or a lot of the standards are from the perspective of the U.S. So let me give you an example. Sure. So in, in China, for instance, you know, things like, you know, sustainable building standards don't exist. So, you know, that's something where it's off the table. Uh, you know, the idea of having a living wage, you know, it's very hard to figure out because, 
you know, if you're in Shanghai, it's totally different than if you're in some other location in China and they're just not the data uh, to, to evaluate that. So, you know, you know, the standards are very much are very much U.S. oriented in some way. There, and there's work being done to really globalize the standards and, and a lot of work's been done mm. around that. But still for places like China. On the flip side, you know, if you're in like Scandinavia or Germany, you know, the just the like almost laws, you know, around things like, you know, like living wages and sustainable buildings, et cetera, are such that, you know, you're going to, uh, you know, sort of pass pass the threshold very easy, much easier because, you know, actually the baseline there is much different. So, mm. so, so I know the B-Lab folks have worked a lot to really customize the evaluation based on, you know, the geography that the company's in, also the industry that the company's in. I mean, if you're a bank, you know, your environmental impacts, for instance, are much different than your manufacturing firm. Uh, and then also the size of the firm. If you're, if you're a large firm, things are much different than you're a smaller firm. So, so I, so this is something that, you know, it's very complex to try to of course. evaluate companies. And I think, yeah, work, work has been done to, on the sort of geography industry and size to try to, uh, customize things so that there's a, a useful set of standards. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing. I, I want to ask you this, you know, let's, you know, you say you, you talk to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners quite often, you know, when they ask you about doing business in China, what is some of that advice you give them? Because I know a lot of times people want to do business in China and it's a little different than, you know, doing business in the U.S., uh, so what are some of that advice you give them that maybe sure. you normally get, you know, uh, unless you just dive in, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that uh, the main thing is, I mean, you have to have a very good person on the ground there, like local Fair connection. Enough. Right. Uh, and, you know, because for a number of reasons, one, uh, you know, you're not going to be there often Two, you know, the language presumably is a language barrier. Right. Uh, and then three, also, I think just the business culture is very different. So, you know, for instance, a lot of business is done over meals, uh, mm. as opposed to the U S you would do things in, in meetings and also things are, you know, done over a much more sort of extended period of time. Uh, and, you know, as, a, you know, it'd be very hard to sort of, for instance, negotiate things, a contract, without sort of knowing all these subtle norms. And so I think having a re, you know, you know, sort of finding and employing a very good sort of middleman almost that can, you know, that knows the context of China and can represent you is really essential. It's very hard, you know, if you don't, if you don't have that, because yeah, you're just, will miss all the important cultural cues that you, that are necessary. For sure. You know, I'm curious about something. It's something I've, I've kind of been, I've been kind of fascinated with China a little bit because, you know, uh, you know, you know, animosities aside, it's 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 quite the story. If, if you imagine, it's, you know, it's like it's the second largest economy on the world. It's one of the fastest growing economies on the planet, and it's just fascinating. I'm curious about something though. If if you could just pinpoint one on on a timeline, like that one moment to that kind of led to where China is now, what would that that point of that timeline be would it be when nixon went over to kind of talk to the chinese people is it when the 2008 olympics and it was kind of like this coming out party what would be that that point on the timeline it's like you know what that's the moment the fulcrum point where like things kind of turned uh in favor of chinese in the chinese economy yeah so i think very very clearly it's 1978 okay uh, and that was when 
So, uh, you know, Mao, the prior leader, the, you know, since the Chinese revolution in 1949 died in, in 1976. And there was a little bit of uncertainty a few years, but then by 1978, someone named Deng Xiaoping ended up taking over as sort of the, the primary leader of the country. And he decided that, you know, this very planned, uh, economy needed to change and open up and be much more market oriented. Mm-hmm. And he basically 180 changed, changed the country. Uh, and if you look, you know, before then, I forget what the average GDP was per capita GDP, maybe a couple hundred U S dollars. Right. Uh, you know, it, per, and then it just has grown ever, ever, you know, a lot ever since then, I think sure. since 19, since 1978 until maybe last year, you know, China had grown on average close to 10% uh, a year. And, you know, now, you know, at first it was easy to grow 10% because, you know, it's a small, you know, sort of small country uh, in some ways economically. But now, you know, growing even 6, 7, 8% on, you know, the second largest economy in the world is tremendous. And right. so, yeah, so I think the changes from really is very strictly planned to a much more market-oriented economy happened, started in 1978. Uh, and then there were all these experiments. You know, they, they mm-hmm. sort of said, okay, we're going to open this city up and, for market activity and let's see what happens. And then sort of slowly let that expand to other cities. Uh, so I think that's that's the big change. For the Olympics sure. was very big too, actually, for sure. I think. Yeah, because like I said, like the 2008 Olympics, you know, it seemed like it was kind of like, you know, uh, 1978 is where like kind of the work started and stuff like that. What you saying, but it seemed like yeah. 2008 was kind of like that moment. It was like China is here and they're not going anywhere for a long time yeah. as an economic power. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that, this two week, right. you know, uh, uh, pep rally almost, if you will. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, you know, really was seen. And, you know, I think it was a real conscious decision. If you look at, uh, you know, so the Olympics were in Beijing in 2008. Right. Uh, and then in 2010 was the world, Expo in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2012 was another large sort of Asian Asian games, I think it was something gotcha. I forget the name of it, mm-hmm. in Guangzhou. And so, you know, I think that, you know, China said we're we're coming out and being right. a global global leader and we're gonna show the world through these major events that, you know, w- how much we've accomplished and what our uh, and what our power is. And I think that's exactly, uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Once again, startup nation, we're actually wrapping up with Dr. Christopher, uh, Marquise, the author of better business, how, the, how the B Corp movement is remaking capitalism. And if you're listening to the replay on the podcast, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access for you to go ahead and purchase that book. I think it's something you may want to definitely put in your, uh, entrepreneurial toolkit for sure. So we talked about at the top of the show, uh, Dr. C, that you are, you know, you're a professor at Cornell. Uh, and, and so you're kind of in charge of, uh, scoping, uh, the next, you know, future leaders of business, uh, in this country and abroad. What are some of those tenets that you try to share with them and, and try to remind them, uh, as you kind of instill knowledge and share what you've kind of learned over the years? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, so one thing, if you're an entrepreneur, I think that, you know, having a purpose that, you know, sort of goes beyond, just selling more products, I think, right. is tremendously important. I think this is one of the things that really drew me to the B Corp uh, work because it's, 
you know, sort of helps attract and bind your your employees. Uh, I think another sort of key thing that is often it sounds sort of almost too boring, but it's but it's really important is sort of you know measuring what matters. And I think that you know the ESG, the social environmental governance things are also important. But mm-hmm. you know being being really clear in what you measure on the financial side is also important too. So I think that you know this you know if I people want sort of advice, I mean it's sort of you know have a, have a purpose bigger than just selling things, but then also you know, being really detail oriented uh, in implementing your business and making sure that, you know, you're measuring what matters and tracking and, 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 you know, actually what's going on. Right. Right. Thank you uh, for sharing that. You know, so it, let me ask you this, doctor, so you may have a little fun with you. So if I were to ask one sure. of your students, you know, what type of professor or, or you know, teacher <laughs> that you are, what would they tell me? Are you the philosopher? Are you the hard grader? Are you the, uh, you know, what, what, what's that teaching style they would tell me, Dr. Z? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, I, you have to ask them. Uh, I mean, I, th- I, I, you know, I think I'm actually, I'm actually, I, I do have some thoughts on this. I'm getting ready for my next, uh, teaching term. So I always go okay. back and look at my teaching, uh, evaluations from the prior, um, you know, from the prior year to sort of think like, okay, what sort of things should I start to change? What sure. sort of new things should I do? Uh, and just in the last few days, I was looking at the most recent, uh, teaching evaluations. And, and one of the things, you know, there's always, you know, you know, things I, I, I can improve on, but I think one of the things that I really appreciated uh, that came through a lot of the evaluations was that I, you know, really f- sort of fostered a very supportive mm. sort of discussion environment in the class and gotcha. was very uh, open to many diverse perspectives and really tried to make sure all the students were sort of heard and respected. Uh, so I think it's a, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think I'm a particularly hard grader. I mean, my <laughs> feeling my my feeling is that I, I teach graduate students, gotcha. so uh, you know, this is you know, you get what you put into things in, in life, right. and you know, I think maybe you know, college or high school, you have to sort of force people to do things. But you know, if you're a graduate student, and if you're you know, if you just want to skate by, I think it's you're the one who's gonna gonna lose. I mean, it's not not me. I mean, right. I don't. You know, people have to do the work, of course, but of course. so I don't think it's I that you known as a hard grader. But I do think it's one that I you know I want people to to learn and improve themselves. And so yeah, th- those comments that I read, I really you know I really appreciate that because I think that's really what I aspire to in my teaching to have you know sort of a warm and supportive learning environment so that everyone can um, can get better. For sure. You ever had a student where? Uh, you know, respectfully, of course, you have had a student kind of challenge something that you said, and it made you kind of like rethink certain things from time to time, whether it be, you know, whether it be business or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of talk yeah, about that. Yeah, 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 totally. So, so I think, uh, and I think this is part of what, what, you know, what the students were saying, like I encourage, so the way I teach is the case study method. So okay. it's very much all about, you know, we come in, we've, you know, read a case study, uh, and it's usually sort of ambiguous what decisions should be made. And it's very, there are very, a lot of complexities and you could argue sort of one way or another or a third way or a fourth way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the idea is that, you know, I think, you know, the students, you know, I might be the expert, you know, in the room, but the students collective knowledge and expertise is way, way more than mm-hmm. mine. Uh, and so, and so I really encourage people to, challenge the material challenge me 
and I think even my, my interest in B corporations came about from student challenging me, actually. Mm. Uh, so, so I was teaching, uh, before Cornell, I was teaching Harvard Business School. Right. And I was teaching a class on corporate social responsibility. So we were studying big companies like you know, IBM, uh, or as, as an example. You know, uh, and, and a student in a class one day, just in the middle of class, said, you know, we should not be studying these large companies. You know, their CEO, CSR programs are great, Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're just they're just tack-ons in some way. You know, mm-hmm. we should really be studying companies like B corporations that have mm-hmm. mission embedded inside of their you know purpose. And this right. this was in 2009. Right. And I must admit, I was a little embarrassed. I had never you know here they're they're basically you know sort of challenging the whole the whole sort of architecture and purpose of the class uh, that <laughs> right. I was teaching. Uh, and right. you know, so I. You know, respectfully listened and said, that's a great, great, you know, interesting idea. And asked him to explain a little bit more. I was really surprised, you know, many businesses like, you know, the Patagonia, Method Home Products, 7th Generation that I had heard of and right. respected were B Corps. But I had never heard of it until that day. And so mm. I, I uh, went back to my office and, and Googled uh, very quickly and learned about the B Corp movement. And that led me to, to, um, to get in touch with B-Lab and ask them if I could actually write a Harvard Business School case study about their work and, and this B Corp idea. And this was back in 2010 when they were actually under 300 B Corps. Right. Uh, and, you know, that really sort of started me on that journey. And I, you know, were it not for a student challenging, you know, the very purpose of the class I, I was teaching, you know, I never would have had that. And so I think that, you know, that's, um, that's I really I really encourage the students to to challenge and push because it, you know certainly there's a lot of things they know that I don't and I want to learn and make the class better. That's extremely profound, Doctor C. Like not many people are willing to say that because I mean, yeah, it, it, like I said, you know, I was going to ask that, but you're you you beat me to the point. It just seems like that student, you know, questioning. Uh, that you know, kind of kind of shifted your focus a little bit. You know, we may we oh, may yeah. not even have this book. If not for that student, you know, maybe I, think definitely. I don't know. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Thank yeah, I think I think definitely. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing all of that for sure. So, you know, I wanted to say, you know, before we kind of wrap, I just want to say thank you so much uh, once again for coming on the show, Dr. C. And once again, Startup Nation, that book is Better Business, How the B Core Movement is Remaking Capitalism. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, we have a link there in the show's. Uh, link link there in the notes show notes I can't talk Dr. C I'm sorry we have a link <laughs> no there in the show notes for easy access for sure I'm gonna keep that in there by the way but for right yeah. now I'm actually gonna turn the microphone over to you Dr. C because look you're starting to uh, you know like I said you're teaching the next MBAs the next you yeah. know mid-level managers senior level managers uh, in business you know here in the in our country and worldwide you know give them some words of encouragement to kind of take us out for today especially seeing that everything's going on yeah no I think that um I know it's tough, you know, I mean, I actually, when I uh, finished my my MBA, mm-hmm. uh, it was in 1994, which was, you know, it wasn't the worst job market ever, but it was a bad job market. Right. And I, uh, you know, it was really very frustrating because I would go on all these job interviews, couldn't get a job, couldn't get a job, had to move back in and spend some time living with my parents still. You know, I was, you know, my mid, mid-20s, this was just a little bit... Um, you know, you know, embarrassing and frustrating. Uh, finally, ended up getting a job, thanks, thankfully, and then I ended up going back to get a PhD a little bit later, which is a whole, whole other story. But you know, 
our, our lives are long. That's now you know 25 years ago for me, uh, and I've always really tried to think long term uh, and think about okay, you know, how can I build a career that actually means something to me and, and hopefully the world. And I think that you know in these times that are really discouraging and it's hard to find a job and the economy's doing very poorly. You know, it's you know obviously people need to make a living and and you know pay the rent and do all those those things. Uh, but you know, really trying to keep uh, your eye on the long term and think about you know okay how can I uh, you know how can I build a career that that you know when I look back 25 years later I'm I'm proud of it uh, and I feel like I feel like I've made a difference because right. you know every day we have to go, you know we have to go to work every day and to just you know, if you want to do it to doing something that you're miserable in is tough thank you for sharing all of that for sure and that's going to wrap up our session here on the startup life dr c thank you so much for uh your, your time and your content man i really appreciate it great and thanks so much for having me dominic it was great great to have a, have a talk and it's uh you know you brought me back to many things that i i hadn't thought about in a long time so that's always a sign of a good interviewer i appreciate that thank you so much checks in the mail and as always startup mission <laughs> if you have an idea be about that life the start of life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.